0: Hello, this is Jennifer Gonzalez welcoming you to episode 63 of the Cult of Pedagogy podcast. In this episode, we are going to talk about how you can teach your students to avoid plagiarism. (music) Plagiarism can be a real bugger. Most teachers have had to deal with it in some form or another, and a whole lot of you still haven't quite figured out the best way to combat it. Many of us issue stern warnings and threaten serious, soul-crushing consequences. Others also use software to detect plagiarism. And while these methods can deter students from plagiarizing and catch them if they do, they operate on the assumption that all plagiarism is devious. That all students who plagiarize know exactly what they're doing, and our mission is to catch and punish. Now, because I don't believe that assumption is accurate, I think we could be handling the problem with a lot more finesse. In my own experience as a teacher and a parent, I have seen acts of plagiarism that I truly believe were rooted in ignorance. Take my fifth grade daughter, for instance. A few months ago, she and her best friend were collaborating on a Google Slides presentation about a Native American tribe. Reading over it as she worked, I found sentence after sentence written in language she never could have come up with. And when I asked her where she got the information, she told me point blank that she copied and pasted it from a website. It took me forever to explain why that was wrong and what she needed to do instead. She seriously had no idea. She wasn't trying to cheat. Eventually, I convinced her that she really, really needed to revise, and even though she did, I could tell she was mostly humoring me. So, okay, that's fifth grade, you say. Surely, it gets better as students get older. Marginally. Let's take a look at college undergrads. In two separate studies, undergraduates were asked to identify incidences of plagiarism. In both studies, students' ability to correctly label plagiarism could best be described as limited. In other words, a significant number of students have an incomplete understanding of what plagiarism actually is. And if they don't always know when they're doing it, it's going to be pretty hard to get them to stop. Now, to be clear, I am not arguing that all students who plagiarize are innocent. I've had students whose attempts at passing off someone else's work as their own was so blatant, I took it as a personal insult. But I do believe we can cut way back on less deliberate instances of plagiarism by teaching students the skills to avoid it. Unfortunately, now students are mostly expected to learn how to avoid plagiarism by some kind of osmosis. As they progress from grade to grade, They're expected to already know how to weave research into their writing in original, elegant, and ethical ways, but far too often they don't have this skill set, not at all. We need to explicitly teach these skills, and we need to do it more than once if we want good results. So in this episode, I am going to teach you how I think we should be doing that, and I'm going to back it up with some research. Before I do that, Uh, I would like to first thank ListenWise, who is our sponsor for this episode. ListenWise is an online collection of curated podcasts aligned with science, social studies, and ELA curriculum. Each podcast is paired with listening comprehension questions and close listening activities. And with ListenWise Premium, you also get lesson plans, vocabulary lists, and automatically scored comprehension quizzes, which track student progress on skills like identifying the main idea, inferencing, and point of view. To learn more about how ListenWise can help support your students' listening skills, sign up for a free teacher account today at listenwise.com, L-I-S-T-E-N-W-I-S-E. One more thing before we start, I want to thank you so much for the reviews you've left for this podcast on iTunes. These really help bring more people to the podcast, and that gets more ideas into more classrooms, so thank you. If you think more teachers need to be listening to this podcast, please head over to iTunes, search for the Cult of Pedagogy podcast, click on ratings and reviews, and leave me a review. So let's talk a little bit more about how we prevent plagiarism. Here's what the research says. First thing we need to do is help students actually identify plagiarism. Now in two separate studies, one in 2002 and another in 2008, when undergraduates were shown different examples of plagiarism and then they were taught even through a basic lecture the many forms plagiarism could take their demonstrated understanding of what constitutes plagiarism got much more sophisticated so it's definitely worth it to teach with examples what plagiarism actually is then we need to give them practice in doing it right well not doing plagiarism but not plagiarizing what do they do instead A 2005 study showed that when students get hands-on practice with paraphrasing and correctly citing sources, especially if that practice comes with instructor feedback, plagiarism in their writing is significantly reduced. So using that information along with my own classroom experience, I have outlined five exercises you can do with students roughly in grade 7 through 12 or even beyond to give them a much better understanding of what plagiarism is and how to correctly integrate research into their own writing. Now, I'll tell you before we start to get into them that I have actually sort of packaged all five of these exercises into a product that I'm now selling in my Teachers Pay Teachers store. It's just called Avoiding Plagiarism. And they're classroom ready. It's PowerPoints and it's handouts and it's basically a set of lectures that you can just kind of run and it's all self-explanatory and it's got some pretty cool little cartoons in it. So, I'm letting you know that I'm going to describe it all for you so that you could do it on your own. But if you want to just grab it and use it in your classroom tomorrow, then go over to slash pod and click on episode 63 and that'll take you to a place where you can find uh, this product. Okay. Before we get started in these exercises, I am going to first advise you that um, when you are doing them, you should use really simple texts as practice. You know, we're going to be practicing some of these exercises with uh, sources, and one of the mistakes that a lot of teachers make is that they use um, sources that are the same level of difficulty as what they're going to be expecting students to use in their research, and I think when you're trying to teach students a skill, you want to take the difficulty level out of everything else so that they can just focus on that skill. So I'm recommending that you use very simple text so that students aren't trying to decipher the text. They can read it very quickly, and then what they are doing is learning how to take that information and integrate it into their own writing and how to correctly quote it and paraphrase it and cite it and all of that stuff. So the uh, most helpful thing that you can start with is just some simple text to use as examples of resources. Okay, so exercise one is recognizing plagiarism, and this would take about 15 to 20 minutes. So as I mentioned earlier, students have an incomplete understanding of what actually constitutes plagiarism. So this exercise uses the concept attainment strategy of showing students yes and no examples of something to help them refine their definition of a concept, and in this case the concept is plagiarism. So the first thing you do in this exercise is to have students read a short, simple text. This could be something anywhere from like 500 to 800 words on a pretty familiar topic, maybe something really high interest. So this can be something that's, you know, like a kind of a quick web article about something. Have them read this and then show them several teacher created examples of student writing based on that text so you're basically creating a pretend student who wrote and that text was one of their resources. In some of the examples the student is plagiarizing and in other examples they're not. And so you're going to basically say to the students you know I want you to tell me um, which of these are plagiarized and you'd start with a definition that plagiarism is basically copying somebody else's words or ideas without giving them credit. So one at a time, you'll show them these examples and ask them, is this plagiarism or not? And I would recommend that you have the students sort of do a little think-pair-share basically, where they decide in their heads what they think it is and then turn to a partner and discuss it with them, see if they can reach some sort of an agreement on that. And then you sort of give them the answer and show them and see if they got it right. And then talk about it a little bit and then move to the next example. I would also say start with really simple examples to where it's an obvious copy of the, of the uh, resource and then move more towards more sophisticated, you know, subtle examples of plagiarism where maybe they're taking the, um, taking the phrase that's in the resource and they're kind of changing a couple of the words. So it's sort of different. It's not the exact words, but it's pretty similar. And so you just basically are working more towards having them see this is the right way to do it, this is the wrong way to do it, this is the right way. And and by doing that, you're helping students get a better definition and a more sophisticated definition of what plagiarism actually looks like. That's exercise one. It's just looking at the examples and getting a yes-no and getting a good idea of what plagiarism actually looks like. Exercise two, three, and four are actually where you are they're, they're trying the writing skills themselves where they're taking the information and they're learning how to incorporate it into their own writing. So exercise two is summarizing, three is paraphrasing, and four is using direct quotes. And these are, these are three different levels of how much of the author's original writing are you actually using. So exercise two starts with summarizing. And this one would take about 20 to 30 minutes, could go even longer if you're working with higher needs kits so once students know what plagiarism looks like they move to summarizing which is basically putting what they're learning into their own words students need to be able to read something digest it and then explain what they learned in their own language so when i say summarizing here i'm not talking about reading an entire story and then writing a big long summary of it we're just talking about reading a paragraph or two and then being able to say what it's about without actually reading off of the paper. So in this exercise, I would say use the I do, we do, you do format. You start yourself modeling uh, the idea. So you can go to this exact same um, passage that you read before and choose a paragraph, okay, and sort of read it out loud to everybody, just this one that everybody's already familiar with now. And then turn that paper over or close your screen or whatever. Have everybody find a way to not be looking at the thing you just read. And then sort of think out loud as the teacher. Say, so that. You know, this is. I'm thinking that this story is kind of a little bit about this or this passage is about this and this is what it means. And then take one of the kids as an example of one of your peers and say, okay, I'm going to try to explain it to you, okay? And then you say, okay, this, say you're reading about... Um, uh, the requirements for becoming a doctor I and mean, then maybe they listed this in the thing you say okay well you gotta finish high school you've gotta go to college and then you have to and so you're sort of listing the stuff that you just read you say it in your and say it in plain human being language not booky language then so we've got read think explain in verbally and then the next step would be to actually attempt to write out a quick paragraph that that summarizes what you just said, basically. So you can do this, you know, on a projector or something with a keyboard or you could do it on a on the actual like on a dry erase board or something, but you're going to actually draft in front of them what this looks like. And then the last step is to go back to the text and make sure that what you said is factually correct. You're not looking for using the exact same words, although there may be a key term there that you could use and you want to make sure that that's spelled correctly. But basically you're checking for accuracy. So the steps that you're going to model in this this exercise two is to read, then put it away, put the source away, think for a minute, explain out loud, then write, then check. So the important piece here is to show them how to actually disconnect from the original text when you're composing and that it's okay to go back to that to make sure, but that, that whole process of not actually looking at the thing while you're writing, that can actually really break the habit of copying, but it's going to require practice, and this is absolutely something that you should do with your students and not just hand it off to a sub as a sub plan or have the kids do it as a flipped lesson or something because they won't get it or they won't all get it anyway. You really need to have them force themselves to not look at the thing and try to write it out on their own um, They're not trying to write it from memory, though, and that's the reason it's important to model it. You're not trying to memorize the actual phrasing from the original source. You're showing them how to read it, get it, think about it, and then explain it in your own words. My advice, too, would be that you mess something up A little bit in your writing of of your summary, whether it's spelling a word wrong or maybe getting a concept a little bit off so that you can actually show them that when you go back and check, you can check and say, oh, actually it said, you know, the year 1982, not the year, you know, 1981 or something like that. You can get something a little bit wrong so that you're showing them that you're just fact-checking in that final check and not um, trying to phrase things exactly the right way. So once you've modeled that practice for them then have them do it and you could have them do it in uh, pairs uh, in a group Um, or you could if you feel like they're getting it they could do it on their own with another section you can be using that same exact piece of writing that you read in exercise one still pick a different section maybe in a different section they talk about something else you can say all right Here's my question for you. I want you to explain, you know, what is required to grow a chia pet in your house. And We're gonna read right around this section here. I want you to read it and, and everybody, once you got it, let's all turn our papers over and sort of walk it through everybody together. And then let them see each other's paragraphs when they're done and let them give each other feedback on whether this looks like it's a little too plagiarized still or if, it's, if it really is in their own words. So that's teaching them how to summarize. The next exercise is paraphrasing, which I, I didn't really get the difference here between summarizing and paraphrasing, and this is where I, I pulled from other sources. Um, but for the purposes of these exercises, paraphrasing is a closer match with what the original source actually wrote. So whether you're either taking a unique idea, or maybe it's a unique combination of ideas, like a sort of a list that was given to you by the original source, or even language that's kind of close to the way the original source said it, but not precisely, then what you're doing is you're paraphrasing them. You're sort of taking what they said and you're you're kind of putting it in your own words, but not exactly. And the the main reason that there needs to be a difference at all is because the way that, and I got this from the OWL at Purdue. If you're not familiar with the OWL at Purdue, O-W-L, online, online writing lab, it's, I literally go almost nowhere else to learn about citation. So it's a great resource. Um, If your kids are young, I would not send them there yet because it's going to blow their minds. It's too much information. But as they get older, great source. Anyway, the reason that we need, need to know the difference between summarization and paraphrasing and teaching that to our kids is that when you paraphrase a specific idea from another text, you need to give credit right away to that idea versus reading three or four different sources about, you know, the Apollo space mission and sort of giving a nice broad summary of kind of everything you learned. And then you just credit all of your sources at the end. If you're really giving some specific information that you got from one source, you're going to give credit to that source right away because you're doing more of like a close paraphrase. And I think there's a kind of a a gray area between or a a continuum between paraphrasing and summarizing. Uh, I think in some ways they're very similar, but It's more paraphrasing the more closely it matches what they actually said in the source and the more original that idea is to that source, especially if you're looking at sort of statistics and that sort of thing. Okay, this lesson on paraphrasing is pretty much exactly like the one on summarizing was where you start by modeling it, that's the I do, and then you get the students to practice it. That's the we do. And then if you've got the time, you can move to students doing it really independently. And that's the you do. And the students can do it on their own and be checking with each other. Or they could be turning it in to you for for a more sort of um, structured kind of a formative assessment. But it's in class practice that they're doing. So you would show them, here's a section. I'm going to show you how I paraphrase it. And then point out to them, look, I really use this very specific idea. So instead of just writing it, I'm going to say, I got this idea, you know, or this, this is according to John Kellogg, comma, and then you're paraphrasing, though you're not putting it in direct quotes yet because you're not using their exact, exact words. So same deal with the paraphrasing. And then exercise four is the same exercise, except now you're showing students how to use, exact sentences from the source. And probably the most important thing to teach them in exercise three and four is that whether you're paraphrasing or using direct quotes, you should still be giving credit to where you got that information. It's only when you're using sort of more broad summaries that you don't have to do necessarily a like a line by line uh, uh, giving credit to where you got that information. So again with the direct quotes and i'd say at some point during all these exercises it would be a good idea to start getting some fresh sources you know not still be poking holes in the same old source might be a good idea to get a new article out or a new you know book chapter or something and um show them how to do basically the same thing as paraphrasing except now you are really copying word for word a sentence or part of a sentence and and this really comes with some skills because not only do you need to be able to put quotation marks around it and, and that sort of thing, but they need to learn how you actually introduce a quote like that. You know, how you can say, you know, in his article, Antelopes, John Travolta says, and then, you know, you put the, the quote right after that. They... Students in general don't read a lot of academic writing, so they're not used to how these phrases work, but they can be taught them and shown them. And, and it's a good idea to provide a, a list of sentence stems that really show them how to put all that stuff together. And that's one of the things that I've got in this, um, in this mini unit on avoiding plagiarism. Is there's a, a page that just has, you know, different examples of how you can actually put these ideas in a sentence with a quote so it actually sounds nice. And uh, so, Okay. So again with the direct quotes, I do, you do, we do. You show them exactly how to do it. Now up to this point, all the way through exercise four, we have not gotten into any formal citation style. We've not gotten into MLA style or APA style. I'm, I'm suggesting that you leave that until they really get these first four skills down, understanding what plagiarism is, then learning how to summarize, how to paraphrase, and how to use direct quotes. And in, in the paraphrasing and the direct quotes, giving credit to where you got that information. Understanding how to do that and being able to really get the concept is enough of a challenge before ever getting into the citation. And I think if you really let the students absorb that and internalize it, then the formal citation is going to be a pretty easy add-on after that. So exercise five is formal citation. This is where you are choosing whatever citation style your school uses. And in this, in this mini unit that I have on TPT, I've got uh, two separate, basically, PowerPoints. One is just for APA style and one is just for MLA style. And that's because, you know, I know a lot of high schools use MLA, but then there are others that use APA. And I know in college, outside of the humanities, outside of, you know, literature classes and that sort of thing, Um, they tend to lean more toward APA. So at least in the United States anyway, uh, what happens to a lot of students is that they go all the way through high school using MLA, and then suddenly they go to college and they're expected to use APA. And if they're not already familiar with one, then it can really throw them off. And I don't want to neglect the other citation styles, Chicago and Turabian, and oh wow, I'm afraid of saying that because I've never even used it, and I might not even be pronouncing it right. But anyway, there are others, but for the purposes of this discussion and in the in the product that I've got, I'm just sticking with those two for now because my perception is that those are probably the most commonly used, especially for um, K through 12 kids and uh, college undergrads. Is where we want them to get this. Also, my thinking is that once a, once a person knows how to do one, the skills are pretty transferable to others. But if they never really get one of them down, then it's just a hodgepodge. So the method here is not going to be a really big surprise. It's it's really just the same thing. You're going to model something, and then have the kids try it on their own. Here's the process that I would recommend, though, because. There's a lot to these styles, everything from what a paper should look like, how much spacing, what you should put on the, you know, the header that goes on page to page. And I don't know how much all of that is really necessary. I feel like really to get them started, there are two components that they really, really need to learn well. One is how to actually build that references list or that works cited list at the end and a lot of students are going to be kind of familiar with this anyway because some of them have probably done a bibliography before. So showing them how this is just another kind of bibliography is, it's, it wouldn't be too big of a leap for them to have to make. The references list at the end and then showing them how to do in-text citations. And I would actually do it in that order. I would start by having them make the references list at the end. And here's why. One is because of the familiarity with that already, and two, it's because when they do their in-text citations, all they throw in there is usually like the last name of the author, and if you can explain to them that having this last name here, it's telling the person reading it to go down to the end and check what you're talking about. Like you're basically just saying, hey, I'm talking about that thing down at the end. I think if you can show them in that order, then they'll understand what the in-text citations are even referring to, (laughs) if you've already got that references list built. So starting with the references list, I would advise you to go very, very, very slow at the beginning and build one or two entries in a references list, together first, start with one of your example articles, make sure that that article already has all of its information, you know, the title and the date that it was published, the author's name and all of that and, and show them piece by piece. This is what a finished one is going to look like, but here's what all of these pieces mean. We start with the author's name and you show them there and you put a, do you put a period or a comma here and you really have them go a bit at a time. And I'd say model it first and then give them another one to try at some point, and I wouldn't do it right away, but at some point, give them a, a very brief style guide that just gives a couple of examples. Here's how you do a book, here's how you do an online article, and I would stick with just those, honestly, because if you look at a full style guide for one of these citation styles, I mean, there's there's dozens and dozens of you know different types of resources, and some of them are things that our students are never, well, aren't gonna have to really access until they are in college and if you throw it all at them at the beginning it's just gonna overwhelm them and it's gonna really be confusing so I would just stick with showing them how to reference a book maybe a magazine article but I don't even know how many magazines are getting floated around anymore students are gonna be getting most of their information from the internet and maybe from books so I would just have them practice for a while with those and get them really good at just using those So once you've practiced it together and built it slowly together, give them a little bit more practice on their own that maybe throw a brand new resource to them where they are going to try it completely alone without a partner and then show them the correct answer and have them check and see how they did. And really, that's the point where you're going to point out, look, this is italics here. And this is a parentheses. And you put the period after the parentheses. Be very, very particular at the beginning, because then they're going to notice that stuff later. I think a lot of times teachers end up doing it backwards. They show them the style guide and say, okay, well, this is how you're supposed to format your works cited list. And then later on after the students make mistakes, it's just like, no, that's supposed to be a comma and that's supposed to be a period and this is supposed to be italicized and that's supposed to be in quotes and don't capitalize this. And that's the first time that the students have ever paid that close uh, of attention to the formatting. And by then, I mean, then it's more annoying than it is a challenge. So I would be very, very slow and particular at the beginning. And then do the same thing with the, with the in-text citations. Show them how, you know, within the... Um, paper you're, the things that you already gave credit to the authors to in your previous exercises now you can just add that parenthetical information so if you already said according to John Travolta in his article you know antelopes blah 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 then you can just show them if it's APA style at the end then you just put parentheses and you put the year And you put a comma and you put a page number, if there is a page number. And and you're just building on what you have already practiced in the earlier exercises. So they say, oh, okay, I already have learned how to give John Travolta credit for this. Now Now I just say what year it was. And, you know, I'm referring back to that references list at the end. After you've done a little bit of these, you know, the pieces... I would say if you've got the time and the desire, the next step would be to give them uh, a bigger assignment, give them a, a, a short research paper, a simple, simple question to answer. You know, um, how does a spider build its web or just something really easy and and have them just come up with like three main points or something like that and that they, they have to use two sources and and really give them a chance to put it all together into something fresh and new. Um, and in, in that assignment, my advice would be to place your highest level of points and grade and the weight on the citation and not on a whole bunch of other stuff. I wouldn't dump a bunch of other skills into that particular assignment. You want to try to isolate the citation skills so that you can really just keep everybody focused on getting, getting the hang of those. Um, One other thing too about these citations, um, I'm fully aware that there are automatic citation generators like EasyBib and BibMe and things that you can do where you just plug the information in online and it'll just generate a citation for you. I use those and I love them and I think they're fantastic and I think students should be taught how to use them after they have learned this uh, manually. Mainly because those citation generators are not foolproof and they make mistakes all the time and they miss information and they um, they don't always know what you're talking about if you enter a url they're going to go and grab the information but you know two things are missing your students need to know what they're what it's supposed to look like at the end and then having those there just saves them the hassle of italicizing certain things and whatever so i'd say absolutely let them use those but Um, hold back a little bit at first. Um, And then the only other piece of advice I have just in general, and this is again from my own experience with students and writing and plagiarism, and I've got uh, seven plus years of classroom experience teaching students writing. That was the main thing I taught. It is to have them do as much of their writing in class as possible versus having them do it at home. It's much, much harder for students to plagiarize when they're there, when they're in class and they're writing and you're walking around and you're seeing drafts evolve over time and you're conferencing with them and, um, versus when they're at home, the temptation is there to plagiarize. There's less guidance from you in terms of seeing them copying and telling them to stop. And I also feel like you just get better quality writing from students. If you are, if teaching them how to write is part of your instruction, then that should be part of your instruction. It shouldn't just be something that they go home and do. I just always found that I got much better writing for my students when they could do it in a, in a semi-supervised environment. So those are the five exercises. I hope that you can put some of them to good use. If you are interested in seeing all five of these packaged into a, a nice, easy-to-use product, then come over to cultpedagogy.com pod. Go to episode 63. And that blog post has all of these exercises written out, but it's also got a link to that um, avoiding plagiarism product. To get weekly updates on all my newest blog posts, podcast episodes, and products, sign up for my mailing list at cultopedagogy.com slash subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. This podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. To learn more, visit edupodcastnetwork.com.